Welcome to the podcast channel of the East Bay Unity Intergroup of Overeaters Anonymous. The opinions expressed here are those of individual members and do not represent OA as a whole. For more information about our intergroup, please visit our website at eastbayoa.org. Take it away, Julie. Thank you, and thanks for calling me. I don't know why, I thought this was an 8 p.m. meeting, uh, but that's pretty much par for the course this week. Um, I swear to God, I swear I have been, um, okay, this is being recorded, so I shouldn't drop any F-bombs, but I can't make any promises, so you guys don't even have to post, you know, you do not have to post this. I'll send in the form, but trust me, you may, you know, (laughs) you may not want to. All right. I'm not kidding you. I have missed like so many things this week. I don't know. It's just my brain is dead. Okay. Well, I'm Julie. I'm a compulsive reader and um, I recognize some people. Hey, hi. And other people I don't recognize. So, um, you know, those of you who were hoping for, you know, someone you haven't heard before, I'm terribly sorry. Uh, those of you who haven't heard me before, I'm terribly sorry, but uh, here we go. All right. Uh, I'll get the statistics out of the way. It's like, well, who the hell is this then? Uh, well, I have been abstaining from compulsive overeating for 35 years. Uh, I have been in OA longer than that, like about four plus that. So close to 39 years in Overeaters Anonymous. Um, in Overeaters Anonymous, my top weight was 200 pounds. And my bottom weight was 98 pounds. And right now I weigh right around 115 and I've been weighing that for uh, several years now, okay? And, um, and what I do today is what I was taught to do in the very beginning, which was go to meetings, um, work the steps with a sponsor, uh, have a plan of eating. And, uh, and in my case, Oh yeah, let me start with a disclaimer. Um, Anything I say here tonight is my experience and it doesn't mean that this is what you should do. I'm simply telling you basically what the disease did to me, what happened and what over years namas has done for me, okay? So, you know, they say there's many roads up Mount Fuji and there's many ways to work this program. So I'm just here to give you mine, okay? So what you do with that, is completely up to you, but I am not an Overeaters Anonymous authority in any way, shape, or form. I'm simply a survivor of this disease who found Overeaters Anonymous, and it has saved my life. Okay, so uh, just I'm going to try and keep it to very little about what it used to be like. But you know what? I think it's really helpful. Um, uh, you know, uh, when people say we don't talk about food, and I want to say, really. Well, in AA, they talk about alcohol and in NA, they talk about drugs. So if talking about food bothers you, um, I would say, you know, go watch a program for a while and then come back and then I'll be at the part where I won't talk that much about food. But I am a compulsive overeater and food fixes it for me, takes the edge off makes it okay, or it used to, it doesn't anymore. But I mean, my first diet was at the age of five. I've been, I've had problems with weight most of my life. Um, 
actually about half of it's been spent abstaining and the other half's been spent uh, being really crazy. So uh, I don't know that I started out a compulsive overeater, but I believe I started out a problem eater. I learned from a very early age to hide food. I learned, you know, that fat wasn't okay, but everybody in my family was, you know, it was even the dog had a had diabetes for God's sakes. We all had ice cream after dinner. Our garbage disposal never had food go down it. We never had anything go bad except for lettuce. That was it. Okay. And you know, who scraped food off their plate into the garbage disposal? We ate what was left. I mean, there was nothing left. Okay. And, um, and so I grew up around, I grew up on uh, Swanson TV dinners and fast food restaurants because both my parents worked and it was very convenient to go to McDonald's or Jack in the Box or Del Taco or roasted chicken or pizza or whatever. And I was all for it. You betcha, love that stuff. Problem is, is I, it, I didn't do enough to burn those calories. So I had, you know, I had problems with my weight um, and loved candy you know, loved candy. So um, yeah, we would, in my house being as it's Halloween coming up, um, we would buy bags of those little mini candy bars, right? Way before Halloween thinking, oh, well, we'll put these away for the trick-or-treaters. They'd be gone. So then we'd come the second, okay, we'll buy this for Halloween. It's only a week away. And finally, by the end of it, what we had left over was five bags of candy and we gave away one bag of dum dum suckers. You know, the kids can have the suckers, but oh, look at all this candy that's left over. What shall we do? So, um, it was a lifestyle. It wasn't just a you know thing. And I would sneak when I was in. As soon as I got old enough to know to sneak food, I was sneaking food. I don't know what you guys did, but I kept. Um, cookie dough under my bed. I've kept a German chocolate cake in my closet and I had one pound bags of M&Ms in my purse for quick energy value. And, um, and I got through school that way. I got through life that way. And what happened for me was the turning point, I believe, they say that anybody with Google can Google how to turn a cucumber into a pickle. It ain't that hard, but nobody, not NASA, not MIT. Nobody knows how to turn a pickle into a cucumber. And they said, Julie, you've been pickled. There is no going back to being a normal eater once you're a compulsive overeater. This was not good news to me. Um, actually, when I came into OA and I heard about OA from my sister and I rushed right out and called them in January uh, on a Monday, I went on a Monday night in January. And um, I, I, uh, I have to say that up to that point, you know, um, I was reading tonight in the big book in a group I go to and they read me, an alcoholic. Okay, so what it says here is the guy went to therapy, you know, for like 20 years and paid $10,000 and it didn't work. And uh, he said, um, you know, the doctor didn't tell me I was an alcoholic. He said, and it was only through being beaten down by my own misery would I have ever accepted the term. That was me. 
I had to be beaten down by my own misery of being a compulsive overeater. Years and years and years of not being able to fit into my clothes, of needing to go to work, you know, waking up hungover from the food, trying to find something that fit, and the only thing that fit was dirty. And I got to be out the door. Um, I've I busted so many zippers. I've um, had dates with people, but had been binging that week and so would call off the date. Okay. Um, this is just the mild stuff. This isn't even the pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization stuff. But I would nothing was finer to me than staying home with bags full of groceries and a channel changer. That was my idea of a good time. And I learned how to hide the evidence, you know, put something, you know, like a candy wrapper inside an empty cereal box. Who would think to look there and throw it away? And that way nobody knew in the trash how much I was consuming. Of course it showed up on my body, but you know, uh, all the mirrors in my house were from here up. Okay, so anyway, uh, long story short, after trying several weight loss programs, including one that electroshocked my arm and tried to convince me I didn't like certain foods, <laughs> didn't work. Um, I came into OA and I thought it couldn't work because you don't want any money. And you didn't weigh me in, which I was grateful for. You were held at a church, which I didn't like. And um, people were hugging each other after the meeting. I was nervous about that too. But I came and I tried it. And the problem was, is I didn't work any steps. I was just calling in my food. And so um, what happened was, is I gained all my weight back because, you know, I wasn't really working a program. So the second time I came in, I sat in the back of the room and I watched tears hit the top of my shoes. And I was humiliated and I was embarrassed and I felt like such a loser in not a good way. And, um, and for the first time in my life, you know, I heard people say they lost weight and kept it off. I knew nobody that did that. No one in my family certainly ever did that. So what happened was, is I kept coming back and I got a sponsor and I got a plan of eating and I went to lots of meetings. Um, I was told three meetings a week is good. So I went to three meetings a week. And in between those, if I couldn't find an, um, a meeting, I went to an AA meeting, which was a good thing. You know, it, it just helped me to hear the program more, okay? And then um, who's timing me by any chance? Anybody out there? <laughs> okay. So uh, what time do I have till? What do I have till? Okay, I'm gonna say it's uh, probably about eight ten or something like that. So anybody that knows, just give me up. Okay, when I got about five minutes, you have you have till eight fifteen. So okay, you got another twenty five minutes. Okay, fine. So anyway, I get to OA and I start working the plan. I get all the books and the literature, and I start doing the deal. And I'm weighing, measuring my food, and I'm losing weight. And that's exactly what I wanted to do was lose weight. Okay. And the way I took the steps was step one, I admitted I was fat. Step two, there's something that can help. I believe it's over years anonymous. And step three, if I have to turn my life and will over to the care of God, I'm going to do it while nobody's looking. And I really, really, really don't want to do this, but I am willing to do just about, you know, they said, 
I would be willing to paint myself purple and run down the street naked if that's what it took to lose weight. So I thought, okay, I will be willing to turn my life all over to the care of whatever God I think there is. And it started to work and I lost weight and I felt better. But then the problem started because there's that four step and it's in English, but I didn't understand it. And people in my group hadn't done it. And I was going, I was going to meetings, lots of meetings, but I couldn't figure out how to do this thing. And I was in between sponsors and, and I just thought I just need to keep losing weight and I'll feel like, and I didn't think this consciously, it was all unconscious stuff. I'll feel like someone who's worked the steps fell, you know? And what happened was I got to 98 pounds and I would have kept going, except I had no effective mental defense against that first compulsive bite that the book says, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, that we need to trust God, clean house and work with others. Well, I didn't trust God and I hadn't cleaned house. And I really didn't get the first step. Okay, I thought I'm not powerless. I have OA, I have a scale, food scale. I have a plan of eating, I can do this. And so I did. And then at an OA retreat, I didn't. I didn't have a food scale, I didn't have a higher power. And it started with some extra broccoli and chicken. And I ate three big meals and nothing in between for that whole weekend. Problem, you know, they locked the food up in between, by the way. Anyway, what happened was, is um, I uh, went to a meeting one night and uh, I realized, you know, I'm really freaking miserable eating and I'm really miserable not eating. I just might as well eat. Now, I had heard you don't take that first compulsive bite no matter what, that it's the first one that gets you going. And I heard too in a meeting, people say, well, I went out and ate, but I got right back on. And I thought, okay, I'll go out and eat and get right back on. Here's what I didn't know. When I make that thought with a abstinent mind that I'm gonna go out and eat, that's one thing. But the minute I take that first compulsive bite, I am now operating with an addict mind that's under the influence. And I might come back now, I might come back years from now. And that's exactly what happened. I went out and bought myself a binge and ate it all. And it was protein. And the next day I got sugar. And then from then I put on 16 pounds in six days. And I went from 98 to 200 in less than three months. And I did this in June, July and August in the summer. And I was working in an amusement park and I was wearing a size four, and then I was wearing a size six, and then the next day I came into work, I wasn't wearing an eight, I was wearing a 10. And by the time I got through, uh, I was in a 15 that I couldn't zip up the back, so I had to wear a wool black sweater, because that's what matched the costume, in uh, the summertime. And people were looking at me like, what the F happened to you? And it's like, you know, I'm eating. And um, I stayed away from meetings for a little while and then I started coming back because it was the only time I wasn't eating was in a meeting. I ate before the meeting, I ate after the meeting. I didn't have the balls to eat during the meeting. And that's what I did. And for two and a half years, so much for let's get right back on, for two and a half years, I tried to get abstinent and could not. 
And this is working with a sponsor. This is going to meetings. This is trying to work those steps. Well, I say trying, I mean, it took two and a half years of bending and abstaining and abstaining and bending and abstaining and completely losing all hope of ever stopping eating for me to finally hear the first sentence in the first page of the first step of the AA 12 and 12. Who cares to admit complete defeat? I was there. I complete defeat. And um, my last binge was um, a pound of butter and a loaf of bread. And I was so ashamed again for breaking my abstinence that I went to an AA meeting instead of an OA meeting. And the alcoholics were all going, okay, <laughs> we don't know what to do with this. But one gal came up to me and she said, Julie, why don't you try being kind to Julie? And you could have knocked me over with a feather. No one had ever said that to me before, including me. So the next morning I got up and I fixed myself an abstinent breakfast. And I said, well, anybody that's out there that can help, please help. And I ate it and I could have eaten eight more and I was really pissed off because nobody can survive on what I ate for breakfast. So I packed my lunch and I went to work and I was pissed off. And I thought I'm binging at lunch and I had my abstinent lunch and a quick cigarette. And then I thought, F this S I'm binging at dinner. I know it's, you know, it's one of those things where I knew it wasn't an answer anymore. I knew I didn't want to be living like Dawn of the living dead anymore, but it just seems so hard. So I got home and I had dinner and it sucked. Cause when you want pizza and you're having skinless chicken and broccoli, it's like, fuck. So I went to an OA meeting anyway, and um, I hated everyone in the meeting, but then somebody said something that made me laugh. And I just said, you know, if there's a God, get me home and get me to bed. And for nine months, it was really hard to abstain. Every cell in my body was screaming to eat something. One day I had to do four meetings and one day to keep from eating. One day I had to spend in the eyeball attention of my sponsor to keep from eating. I mean, I literally just was her shadow the whole day. And that doesn't mean that ever since I got abstinent, every meal has been perfect and I'd like to pose by it for the Lifeline magazine. No, some meals have just been, well, I'm glad that's over with. And, you know, call my sponsor and go, oh my God. And she's like, oh, just, you know. Um, that's why my bottom line has to be reasonable and possible. What they say, what's your bottom line abstinence? Okay, you should know what that is, I'm, in my opinion, because I gotta know when I'm abstinent and when I'm not. An alcoholic knows when they're sober and when they're not. An addict knows when they're using and when they're not. And I know when I'm off the reservation and when I'm not. My bottom line is I don't binge. And I don't eat sugar in the form of cakes, cookies, candies, that kind of stuff. However, there's a whole lot of things that aren't on my plan of eating because they set up the craving for more. I heard a lady say in a meeting, I don't want to eat any food that talks to me. Neither do I. But that's taken a long time. You know, and as I've gotten older and I'm not biking 30 miles on the weekend anymore, you know, I've had to eat less, which 
Um, you know, I really care why there's disease and war and why bad things happen to good people. But my first question to my higher power when I get in front of it is, what the fuck? Why, when we get older, do we have to eat less? And why is lettuce more calories than chocolate? Would it have really been that much skin off your nose to make it be the opposite? No. So anyway, I've been abstaining now for 35 years. And how do I do that? Well, for a long time, I called in my food every single day to my sponsor for like years. And I still do when I start getting a little wobbly. Um, over the, I find that if I keep my food in the program, keep, you know, be honest, just be honest and tell her what's, what's going on, then whatever damage I do, I'm, I'm willing. It's kind of like if you're reading the big book, uh, you know, about inventory, it says, you know, where some people are fanatical and others are really loose and says, we don't want to be the arbitrator of anybody's sex life. And we don't want to be the arbitrator of anybody's food life either. It says, when I screw up, I admit it. And I ask my higher power to take me to better things. When I screw up, I admit it to my sponsor and we talk about it. And if it's a food I find I can no longer eat safely, sanely, sociably, sensibly, then that's a food I give to my higher power. Now, I'm one of these types that used to watch the Twilight Zone, and I always do the Burgess Meredith scenario where the world has come to an end and the only thing I can find to eat is peanut butter. Does that mean I've broken my abstinence? Probably not, but I'm hoping to believe that in the end of the world, when nothing's alive except you know me and Burgess Meredith, um, there'll be something there besides peanut butter. You know? crying out loud. So anyway, what's over years and Amis done for me? She said, checking the time. Good. Um, I was able to go back to school and get a degree. I ate and also I did other supplements through college and um, I had a degree in ceramics and I was lucky to get that. And I was so ashamed of my academic department. I did not take my diploma. I did not graduate with everybody. I am just mail it to me. So I wanted to go back to school, sober from food and get my degree. So I did <laughs> in painting, <laughs> but you know what? It helped me get a job, best job I ever had. So, you know, it wasn't a waste and I got to do it sober from food. And that was huge. And I got to be in a relationship sober from food. That's really different. It's really different and learn how to have sex sober from food. Oh my God. You know, I remember when I was trying to lose weight and oh gosh, I was still way overweight and I would call Peter S and say, Peter, I'm fat and I'm never going to. And he'd go, Julie, if our bodies were that important, we'd take them with us when we die. And I'd think, okay. I had to learn to love myself right where I was. That's a bitch. But I had to learn to love myself as I was. And I also learned that resentments really do kill you. When I was trying to get abstinent, I got a big resentment from Miguel in a meeting. 
I wanted to take her out in the parking lot and whack her head on a windshield till I hear it crack like a ripe pumpkin. I had a few anger issues when I was new. And um, next day I ate. And I realized, wow, I really can't afford this shit. So, um, so I try and keep track of that. <laughs> I like to keep my resentments current. And um, I went, so I went to school, got married abstinent, didn't have to eat the cake at the goddamn reception. I mean, it's all about, you know, that. <laughs> I don't have to. I ate enough for 12 lifetimes. I didn't have to eat the damn cake, but it sure looked pretty. Anyway, so I've been able to stay married because I used to treat men like food, more is better. And, uh, and I haven't had to cheat on my husband. Like I haven't had to cheat on a diet. I'm not on a diet, I'm on a way of life. So um, it's been a long, slow process. Oh, I can tell you, there's been times when I really wanted to just F this S, you know, sorry, I ever heard of over years anonymous. I'll tell you about two of them real quick. One was we were having an OA conference at Disneyland and I was staying there and all that good stuff. And, um, and uh, I was on, I wanted to eat. Okay. I'm in Disneyland surrounded by people. I'm on Tom Sawyer's Island. So I'm not even in Disneyland. I'm on this little Island with, with a ceramic moat and in a gift store in Tom Sawyer's Island, my sponsor pops up. Okay. I was walking out of my kitchen one time with food that really shouldn't have been there for lunch. And I'm walking out and there's no breeze and there's no open window and a pamphlet floats down from on top of the refrigerator and lands on my plate called dignity of choice. And I had to go back in the kitchen and and um, one more, um, I, I, I mean, you guys, you know, we get, I, I have one thought when I get in the restaurant and a whole nother thought when I see the menu. And I went into this diner and I thought, everybody's having chili cheese fries. I want chili cheese fries. I do. And so I went in the bathroom and went in the handicap stall because that's appropriate. And I looked at it, just a higher power. I want chili cheese fries. You know, I want chili cheese fries. I'm ordering chili cheese fries. So if I don't order them, it's because of you. I can't do this. I don't, I don't have it. And that's what the book says. You know, that strange middle blank spots, that inability to leave it alone, no matter how great the necessity or wish, that's the mark of a true compulsive overeater. So I walk out of there and I get back to my table and the handy dandy waitress rolls up at her roller skates. You know, they're so perky. And uh, she throws, she asks everybody, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? She comes to me and I go, taco salad. And I'm like, fuck, you know, and I'd like to tell you that God smiled on me and it was a great taco salad. It was not. I still wanted the chili cheese fries. I just didn't have to have them. I'm not one of those people that has never been plagued by food. Okay. I just haven't had to binge my brains out and say, this stuff, I'm leaving, I'm out there, you know, screw you. I haven't had to do that in 35 years. I haven't had to be in 100 pounds in 35 years. I haven't had to do all the things I used to do, like bounce checks and lie and hate my guts. 
in 35 years. And that's because of the 12 steps and doing what was told to me to do in the beginning, which is, you know, I pray and meditate. I go to meetings. I sponsor people. I have a sponsor. And thank God for Zoom because I go to meetings regularly and I love Zoom meetings. Don't get me wrong. I miss the face-to-face, but I love Zoom meetings because I can go to lots of them. I live two miles plus, okay, bad word here, bumfuck Egypt, okay? I am in Joshua Tree. There is like two meetings a week. And if you added both of them together, you could still have more fingers than people at the meeting, okay? With both of them added together. And if I want to go to a meeting, I got to drive an hour and a half one way. Well, you know, I was willing to drive an hour and a half for a piece of cheesecake. So I drive an hour and a half for a meeting. Let's see, what are we doing on time here? So um, what Overeers Anonymous has given me, the big book says, lack of power is our dilemma. We had to find a power by which we could live, a power that would solve our problem. Well, Overeaters Anonymous, oh shit. The cat, I don't know if I'm still on or not. The cat, uh, Zoom, okay. You're you're still on, Julian. Oh, goody. All right, well, at least you can hear me. Fantastic, and then I'll try and figure this out. So, you know, have you ever noticed if you have cats that they don't give a shit about you till you sit down at the computer and then they're all over it. They are on the keyboard, they are on the screen. Good Lord. Okay, so anyway. Overeaters Anonymous has given me a power greater than myself that has come very slowly, okay? It's been, uh, it's been a series of, well, I, it was described to me this way in an OA meeting. They said, in the old days, you would go into a supermarket when they let you in without a mask and there were more people. And there would be this lady there with helmet hair and um, a nice little white paper apron. And she'd have this platter of little weenies, right? With a toothpick in them. And she'd be offering them to get you to buy the product, right? Well, to me, that's what a higher power does. It doesn't, it's not just, you know, it's, I get free samples. I get free samples of what this program and a higher power can do for me. And um, getting through college, getting through graduate school, getting married, I mean, those are the big deals, but there's bigger deals. The bigger deals are calling people, you know, when my mom went in the hospital cause she was having a heart attack, I got to call, I got to call about 13 people. And this was when they didn't have cell phones. You know, dinosaurs were roaming the earth. And um, the first three or four probably was crying so hard and using a lot of efforts. The next five probably could tell it was me, but I was still using F words because they weren't picking up. Nobody was picking up. I was, on, I was on number 15 in my phone list and nobody picking up. So I walk away from the pay phone and coming down the hallway is a gal in the program who was a nurse. Huh, what do you know? Things like that, things like that happen all the time. And I found that there is a higher power in my life that is helping me to stay abstinent, giving me the ability to pick up the phone and call. 
but I really need a higher power's help in everything I do, you know, in everything I do. Um, when my mom got Alzheimer's and we moved her in with us and we took care of her for five and a half years, that was a long five and a half years. And somehow we always found caregivers and we found some really good ones in the end. And um, a member of this program, both my husband and I were just fried and we didn't have any money. And she gave us money to be gone on a trip to Arizona for like two weeks. I will forever be in her debt. Another person in the program had a timeshare in Hawaii and uh, we took my mom to Hawaii even though she had Alzheimer's because that was someplace she loved. And it's a testament to the program. I did not push her in the volcano. At one point though, we were in a Chevron station because every 15 minutes we had to use a restroom. And um, she's in the bathroom, the car's running. And I turned to my husband and I said, if we peel out of here right now, she won't be able to tell him where she lives and she won't be able to tell him who we are. And for a moment there, it was glorious. And then I remembered she had a safe return bracelet. So we waited and took her home. The funny part about that is, is as we were driving in downtown Kona with the palm trees waving and the beautiful blue water, she goes, this is just like Oakland. <laughs> and then we get home. And we're driving through a part of Oakland where the Hells Angels have their clubhouse. And she looks around and says, this is just like Kona. <laughs> so there were some, some good moments in all of that. Um, so I think I'm gonna wrap it up in four minutes just by saying, um, lately this quote's been going through my head a lot. And it's, um, I'm not quoting from outside literature, I'm quoting from a human being who said, um, my defects and my failures are as much a blessing from God as my successes and my talents. And I lay them both at his feet. And that's Mahatma Gandhi. My defects and my failures my compulsive overeating, my defects of character have brought me closer to people than any of my assets ever did. And their blessings. And I want to give everything to my higher power to use as it so chooses because a higher power has given everything to me. And it's all been through this program of Overeaters Anonymous. I've been given everything. Because it really doesn't matter about the house and the car and all the other stuff. I'm not eating compulsively. So that means today I have self-esteem and self-worth. I have hope. And I have a sense that I never have to be alone again. That's the one thing the story I read tonight ended with is Whatever trouble comes, we don't have to face it alone. And thank God for Zoom meetings 
and the other people. And I think that in every OA clubhouse, there ought to be a picture of Alexander Graham Bell because he invented the telephone. And because of that, we never have to be alone again. And the thing, you know, we understood me before I got here. I didn't understand me. Now I find, as we say in our prayer, love and understanding beyond my wildest dreams. Thank you. Now I'll try and get back on because cat stepped on something and I don't know what the hell's going on. So here we go. If I go off for a while. Uh, okay, that's it. Thank you.